The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. What a blessing to be together again this week. I'd like to just read and start, and I'm going to start with a few verses from last week, and then we're going into chapter three and four. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, said the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will be their God. And the Lord will take possession. Then then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and the Lord will take possession of Judah and of Jerusalem and and in the Holy Land. And again, choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at the right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? And Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, and he was standing before the angel. And he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away those filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put their clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by and the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and if you will keep my command, then you shall judge my house and likewise have charge of my courts. And I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. I just want to open with a word of prayer as we begin. Holy Jesus, would you take these incredibly beautiful words of Holy Scripture? And would you come tonight and would you be our teacher? Lord, only you have the power to rightly divine the word of truth through your precious Holy Spirit. And Lord, would you let me not get in your way? Thank you, Father, for anointing your word. You promised to use your word. So Lord, as we look together tonight at what you're saying to us, would you do a new thing in every single one of our hearts? And would you let there be a cleansing in our souls that we've never known before so that we are people after God's own heart? who not just know about you, but know you face to face and nose to nose. We thank you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Tonight, if I titled this, I think it would be called the glorious exchange. (laughs) And I just love the thought of that. He says, sing and talk, uh, sing and shout, O daughters of Zion, for I am coming and I will dwell in your midst. And there's nothing happier than Jesus. He wants to come and he wants to return to you and he wants to return to me. 
if we would choose to enter into a relationship with him, not just know about him, but know him personally and begin to walk with him and to follow him. So he says that, and it would, then the, what Laura talked about, pro nobis. He says, I'm for you, pro nobis. Then he goes, not only that, I the second vision, he said, I can restore. And Jesus comes and he restores and revives what the enemy has taken away. Then he can be a wall of fire around us and the glory within, the promise of his personal protection and his personal presence. Now this week, this is just a little vignette of what God wants to do in our lives. But how do we get in this relationship? To begin to know him like that, to begin to know the pro nobis character of God that he's forming. How do I begin to lose my distrust of God, which is the biggest lie that the devil has for all of us. God is not trustworthy going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where he said to Eve, you just can't trust him. You better look out for yourself. And we know how that turned out. So he says, as we start the visions this week, we have two more. And I'm going to use my little visual aid because it helps us. Look, he says, can you see? And you go, no, not quite yet. He said, well, I want to help you to be able to see. (laughs) So the first thing he shows them, he shows him Joshua. He shows him the high priest. And Joshua is standing there before the angel of the Lord. And who shows up? Satan. Because the minute you and I begin to turn our faces to the true Lord Jesus Christ, and we begin to really long for God to do something in our life, do not be, be afraid because the enemy will come and he will try to thwart the purposes of God in your heart, in your life, and in your mind. But who is more powerful? Once again, what happens when Satan's coach shows up and stands at the right hand to oppose him? And what does Satan do? He always accuses you. Oh, Beth, you should. You ought to. You needed to. You, you, you did it. You know, all the accusations that come from hell. And then he comes and accuses him. But God himself comes and he said, and he rebukes him. He rebukes him and, and he rebukes him. And he says, I rebuke you, Satan. I rebuke you. The Lord rebukes you and he rebukes you. Is this not a brand plucked from the burning? Doesn't it sound a little bit just like, is this not the apple of my eye? Anyone who plunders you, I will plunder them. I will be your protection, that wall of fire. God is saying, I am trustworthy. And if you move to begin to walk into a love relationship with me, I can keep you and I can protect you. The beautiful thing is there's only two encounters in scripture that that are just quite as graphic where there's a confrontation between God and Satan. One is with Job. Where Job, Satan comes and he says, Lord, look, there's nobody around that serves and loves you. And God says, well, there's one. Once again, we see the incredible value of one to the heart of God. And he says, there's one, Jeremiah 5.1. And he said, Job. And sure enough, the Lord gives him permission. He strips everything away. And then he said, And Job's little wife says, curse him and die. And he said, though he slay me, yet will I touch him, trust him. 
And then, then, then Satan comes back and he said, can I touch his health? But do you notice there that Satan can do nothing on his own? There's a divine protection that comes from the heart of God for the people of God. And then he touches his health. But Job refuses to leave Jesus. And God is looking for us tonight, for those of us to say, Jesus, I will trust you with the mystery of unexplained suffering and sorrow in my life. Just like we heard in the testimony from Vicki. I will trust you that you can use it for my good, your glory and redemptive purposes whether I understand or not. The next encounter in Holy Scripture is in, in the Gospels, and especially in Luke 4. Remember where Jesus is baptized by John, and then the dove ascends, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in 4.1, it says, if he was empowered by this, led by the Spirit, he went into the wilderness, and he was tested by the evil one, for 40 days and 40 nights. And do you know that you and I can be filled by this with the spirit and the enemy will come even after we know the infilling of the spirit and try to get us to turn our faces from him. But that's why in James 4, it, it, 4, 8, he says, submit to God, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. F-L-E-E, -E, flee. All powers given in the name of Jesus, therefore go and make disciples. You and I can't, but he can give us all power to enable us to stand against the wiles of the devil, Ephesians 6. So that what he's having is an encounter with the evil one, because the evil one does not want what God has in store for the people of God or for Joshua, the high priest. And Joshua was the high priest for the people that had come back after they had returned to restore and rebuild after the 70 years of captivity. And it's interesting here because even in the past 48 hours, I've seen some things I never have seen before. Don't you love the word? <laughs> Do you know what this is? What, what does Joshua's name mean? In the Old Testament, the name for Jesus is Joshua. This is a prototype of the Jesus. And this book is about the Messiah that's coming and the redemptive story of God for the people of God. The Messiah is coming. And then this book shares with us that the old covenant is, 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 is going to bring, he has something even better than the old covenant. He's going to establish the new covenant. And the new covenant is the person of Jesus coming to redeem and to restore his people in a way that had never been possible before. So Joshua, whose name means savior, his name means savior. The high priest is standing before the Lord. And then the Lord rebukes Satan. And then the Lord says to him, he who touches you touches the apple no he he you is not this a bland pluck from the burning do you know that is the word that the scripture that jesus gave to susanna wesley when her little six-year-old boy was in a fire at epworth and everybody in the family got out all the other children got out 
But then they looked up and to their horror, there is John Wesley, an upper story window, and he's leaning out the window and there's no ladder tall enough to get him out. So the, the neighbors and friends and family made a human ladder standing on each other's shoulders and reached up and pulled that little six-year-old boy out of the burning window. And in Susanna's journal, she said, oh, I must pay closer attention to his spiritual understanding and education. Is not this child a brand plucked from the burning? And do you know what? I think that is a tremendous witness to as to what is happening. All of our loved ones, all of the next generation, all of our teenagers and college kids. And God's saying, I've got a message for you today. You and I can stand back to back and stand in prayer together on each other's shoulders to pray that the ones that are in the burn in the fire that are headed straight to hell, unless there's a redemptive work of God, they can be pulled from the clutches of hell and put into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sunny loves. Is that not a good word? Is that not a good word? And then Joshua, you notice, but what's happening here? I did a little work from Leviticus 16 and Exodus 28. And it was cute. I've never been so blessed by Leviticus before in my life. Do you know what? When the high priest would go in once a year to, on the Day of Atonement to the Holy of Holies, he would take off his priestly robes. And remember his priestly robes in Exodus 28 tell us they were woven with gold, purple, crimson or scarlet, and blue thread. And they were beautiful. And then on the bottom, there was bells and pomegranates all along the bottom of the road. So wherever he went, you could hear him. And then he had on his shoulders, these were the priestly robes. He had engraved an onyx stone in gold the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, six on one side, six on the other. But that wasn't enough. Then he had a beautiful breastplate with those beautiful colors. And then the precious stones and engraved on those precious stones on this breastplate were the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So we went into the presence, the high priest, Standing as a mediator between God and men, bearing on his shoulders the names of the children of Israel, and then covering his heart, bearing over his heart. Three times it mentions in Exodus 28, bearing over his heart the names of the people of God. And when you go into the presence of God in the holy place, he would go to intercede on behalf of God's people. But once a year on the day of atonement, he would take off those princely robes, those priestly robes, and he would put on a white linen garment <laughs> and white linen trousers, a white turban with holiness unto the Lord. And he would take 
a bull for a sin offering. And that was for him and his family. And then he'd take two goats. He would take a goat that would be for a sin offering for the people's sins. And then a goat that he was to put both hands on the goat of the second goat's head. And it was to be a scapegoat that would be for the atonement of the people. And they would, he would confess the sins of the people on the scapegoat. The sin offering, that goat it would die. And his blood would be sprinkled over the altar, over the mercy seat. But the scapegoat, another priest, he would send it out, would take it, and he would go and take him to the wilderness to carry away the sins of the nation. And what God is saying to hear is what the high priest was a symbol of. There is one whose name is Jesus, who has come to take away the sins of the world. He has shed his blood for you and for me. And not only that, he is the scapegoat that bears and carries away that they don't come back. There's a cleansing in the blood of Jesus. Now, it's interesting. You, we get a vivid picture of this. And Kim, could you put it up just a minute? The, the third one. No. Oh. We see here, we see in this next part, Joshua standing, and then the angel said, "Is says, take, take." Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, and you can see the robe in the front. It's all dark and dirty and frayed. And then uh, the angel uh, says, "Take away those filthy garments from. See, I have removed his your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes." just like the high priest, the white robes, the garment of salvation. And then he put a clean turban on his head. And that turban says holiness unto the Lord. And that is symbolic. Thank you, Kim. That is symbolic of what God wants to do in your life and in my life. He wants to cleanse and he wants to purify us. And he wants to remove the iniquity from your heart and from my heart so that we are set free and we are made clean. And there's nothing else that can deal with the problem of sin in the human heart but the blood of Jesus. And you know, this is the best that Israel had at this point. This is the high priest. But there's not one of us that qualifies to stand. We all need the cleansing work of Jesus in our lives. And there's nothing else that gets rid of sin but the blood of Jesus. And it's interesting here because he talks about that cleansing, the replacing of those filthy robes with the garments of salvation. And Jesus picks that up 
in Isaiah 61, remember when he preaches his first sermon to the hometown crowd in, in Cana? And remember when he comes to him and, and he says, this day, this sermon is, this is fulfilled in your midst. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings, to heal the brokenhearted, to set it free, the captives, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, to comfort all our mourn, who console those who mourn in Zion, to give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for the garment of having, uh, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Notice the garment analogy. But then over in verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord for my soul shall be joyful for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. I want to know tonight, do you know the joy of having those filthy rags left at the feet of Jesus? And do you know the joy of the new garments that Jesus has given to you and to me. And you say, well, sin's really not that big a deal, Beth. <laughs> sin is never done in the doing. I remembered one time I was speaking and I, and I, afterward, um, Although they had a prayer room in this church, which is very unusual. It was a very precious church. And afterward, a little gal came to me and she took me by the hand. And she said, would you pray with me? And I said, yes, honey, let's go back to the, to the prayer room. And so we went back and knelt. She was very broken. And, and she was like in her 40s. And then she, and she couldn't stop crying. So I just waited. And um, then I said, honey, what is it? Oh, she said, Beth, I have something that I did so long ago that I've never told anybody. I haven't told my husband. I haven't told my children. I haven't even told my mother. I haven't told anybody. But she said, Beth, I can't live with it anymore. And I said, well, honey, what, what is it? I said, Jesus can come and cleanse from all sin. She said, I'm not sure it's for me. She said, I was 19 years old. I was in college. I had a one night stand. I'd never done that before. I've never done it since. I got pregnant. I had an abortion. And she said, every single day of my life, I've thought about what I did. And it has affected every single relationship in my life. Do you know what's begun to happen now? At night, I hear my baby crying because my baby has no place to go. And I said, oh, honey, 
I have good news for you. The blood of Jesus Christ is so deep. There is no sin so deep that the blood of Jesus cannot cleanse and purify and set free. And then we prayed. And then she prayed. And then I said, you're going to have to share what Jesus has done in your heart. But then I said, I think you need to name your baby and give your baby back to Jesus. And then and she said, well, I, she had to think. But she, we gave her baby back to Jesus. Then she went home. It's funny, they invited me back the next year. And I looked for my little friend, but I couldn't find her. And I thought, oh, poo, she's not here. And then as I'm getting ready to walk, you know, to the front to get ready to speak, this little gal reaches out her hand and she goes, Dad, it's me. And she told me her name. And I said, it can't be because I didn't recognize her. She absolutely radiated. And I said, honey, what happened to you? Oh, she said, I went home. I had told Jesus I loved him and asked him to forgive me. Then I went home. Then I told my husband. Then we told my children together. Then I told my parents. Then I got right. Then my husband and I, we asked Jesus for a name for our, the baby. And Jesus gave us the name of Emma Grace. And then we gave that baby back to Jesus. And she said, do you know what? I know that Jesus, she is waiting for me in heaven. She's not sitting next to me in this retreat. I will go to her, but Jesus is keeping her till I can get to her. Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. And God writes this beautiful story to say Jesus can cleanse from all sin and leave those filthy rags at the feet of Jesus and the glorious exchange of the power of God, even in the likes of you and me. Is there anything in your heart tonight that Jesus wants to cleanse and set you free? And then he cleanses and he heals. And he puts that turban on your head. So you and I begin to think like Jesus and not like me, myself and I. So there can be an other orientedness in my life. So I can care more about somebody else other than just myself. Only God can do that. Reality. Only God can do that. So he said, so he put a clean turban on his head. And then he said, if you will walk in my ways. Because it's a love relationship and it's a choice. If you will walk with me and if you will keep my commandments, oh, I have the happiest news for you. There'll be an intimacy in your walk with me, no matter what your past is. I'm going to use you in my house and in my kingdom so that you can judge my house and you can have charge of my courts and I will give you a place to walk among all these people that are standing here. 
because God always has a place for every single one of us. And just like you said last week, remember we said last week, if he doesn't have you and you don't love him the way with heart, mind, soul, body, and strength, there's a lonesome place in the heart of Jesus for you. And he's tailor made you for a unique, special purpose. And the will of God fits you. So you go, cha-ching. This is what I was made for. And I never had any idea. In the, there's an intimacy with God that develops. The sweetness of intimacy. And honey. I remember one time I was, I was senior in college. And my dad had just been elected president of Asbury. And so he was in the president's office and it was in the middle of the college day. And all of a sudden something happened in my life and it was like concerning an old boyfriend. And it was seemed very traumatic to me. And I just was brokenhearted. And, and I just started crying and crying and couldn't stop. And I thought, oh, do you know what I need? I've got to talk to my daddy. And do you know, the reality was I didn't care he was the president of any institution. I didn't care that I had passed Camille at the secretarial desk. I didn't care. I just ran through up to the administration building, opened Camille's door and just walked straight through and walked into my daddy's office and said, daddy, and poured out my heart and then just shared with him. And then he hugged me and we prayed together and I went back out. There was an intimacy with him. It wasn't a title. It wasn't a position. It wasn't a job because it was a father to a child. And I think what we're seeing here in Zechariah, there's an intimacy in the heart of God for you and me that we can come for whatever is on our heart and whatever burden is on our heart. When I look back on it now, it doesn't seem like that was quite so traumatic, you can imagine. But at the moment, it was real important. And the one I took it to was my earthly father. And God is saying, you may not have an earthly father or a husband or someone to go to, but I am available and I am available 24-7 and you don't even have to have a password to get my attention or to get on with me. Is that not good word? So he says, if you will walk in my ways and keep my words, then I will be an intimacy that you will begin to move in the realm of the spirit about the things of God. Then he said, because Joshua, you are just a prototype of the one who is to come, the true Lord Jesus Christ. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions, for they are a wondrous sign, my servant the branch for behold the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon the stone are seven eyes behold why I will engrave its inscription says the Lord of hosts and do you know what Joshua is the Jesus is coming and this is from where he talks about Isaiah 53 2 that he is my servant that he is the branch and the branch from the line of the tribe of Judah David, so he is the king. So not only is he priest, but he is the king. So that this is the sharing about Jesus, that the one is coming who is the servant, but he is the savior of the world. And he comes as a servant and he comes to redeem your life. And he comes to redeem my life. 
And then he is the cornerstone, which is referred to in verse nine. And he is the cornerstone, the foundation of life and reality. He is the cornerstone. And upon that stone are seven eyes. And what are those eyes? Seven stands for the perfect number and eyes roving throughout the world. He is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent so that he knows where you are, who you are, what you need. And he alone is able to meet the deepest needs of the human heart. And I love this part. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord. And not only did he engrave it on the shoulders of the priest, high priest, in Exodus 28, and on the breastplate. But you know what? Isaiah 49, he just says, I will, you, Isaiah 49, let me see. Listen to this, 15. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. And the Lord has forgotten me. And this is what God says. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have, surely they may forget and not have compassion on the son of her womb. Surely she may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. <laughs> Want to know where you are right here? Oh, here's Kim and Becky and Mickey and Kathy and Dottie and Alan and Marilyn McCool and Suzanne. They're right here, say right here. And your walls are continually before me. What is this? His protection, your care. Jesus wants to come today and is your name inscribed right on his hands. And do you know, let me, let me just, so look at how beautiful that is. He wants to give us. And how long did this take Jesus? He removed the iniquity of the land and all our sin in a single day in verse nine. And this is repeated. Jeremiah 30 says this. Jeremiah 31 says this. He removed the iniquity in a single day. In Calvary, God did what no one else could do. No priest, no old covenant could do. He is establishing a new covenant. And at Calvary, he removed sin in your life and my life in a single day. And then how does it end? Chapter, the end, chapter ends, in that day, says the Lord of hosts, when sin is removed from your life and what Jesus did on Calvary and when sin is removed from my life, Everyone will invite his neighbor and they will sit under his fig tree, his vine and his fig tree. There will be fellowship because when God comes and does a work in my heart, I have the capacity to think of you. You have the capacity to think of me. And there is Trinitarian fellowship and unity that begins to occur because Jesus is coming. Is that not a good word? I remember one time when I was teaching Bible study, one of the precious women, and it was Iru from Papua New Guinea. 
And I was taking her home one time from um, prayer. We had prayer on Tuesday before Bible study on Wednesday. And I said, honey, what is the biggest difference that you've noticed while you've been in America? And she surprised me. I never forgot the answer. She said, the trees. And I go, the trees? She said, no one enjoys your pretty trees. In Papua New Guinea, we all sit under the trees. And we talk to our neighbors and we talk to our friends and we talk to church people and the family sits under the trees. That is what it is when Jesus comes, there is fellowship and community. Just like on that early morning prayer call, some of the women I know only their voices. I've never met them, but I feel very, very close because the power of the spirit to unite hearts together. I want to know tonight, have you let Jesus cleanse and purify your hearts? Revelations 3 has a very precious word. This is the word to the church in Sardis. Yet there are few people in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. They have walked with me dressed in white because they are worthy. Sounds a little like Zechariah, doesn't it? I will not blot out their names from the book of life. I will confess their names before my father and his angels. Jesus is looking for us tonight to have cleansed and purified hearts so that we walk with him dressed in white, not because we are worthy, but because he is worthy. And he has done the redemptive work in every one of our hearts. Jesus wants to come and he wants to purify and cleanse and heal and set free. The question is, will we let him? Will we let him? And then we move into chapter four. And you think, oh, it couldn't get better than this. Oh, but it does. <laughs> then the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me. And I love this because many times, you know what happens in this vision. You and I go to church enough that we understand that we're sinners and we need salvation. And then we understand enough that we don't want to go to hell. And the only way not to go to hell is for us to have a clean heart. So we understand that part of the gospel. But Zacharias says here, wait a minute, there's more. There's more. And many of you that are on, even on this call tonight, you have asked Jesus into your heart. Your heart is pure as much as you know. You are trying to walk with Jesus. But that is the key word because the word trying and being filled with the Holy Spirit makes all the difference in this world and in the world to come. And he says to any wakens them because we need today an awakening in the church of Jesus Christ. 
where there's an awakening for the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that it's not enough to just get cleansed and purified. It's what Jesus said to the disciples when he said to them, remember, he said, tarry in Jerusalem until you are filled with the Holy Spirit. The gift I am giving you is the thin filling of the Holy Spirit. And there's no way you can live for God unless you are filled with the precious presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is the Old Testament word picture of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's beautiful. And the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me. And as a man is wakened out of his sleep and he said to me, what do you see? And he said, I see a lampstand. Gold solid gold with a bowl on the top and seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps and two olive trees on either side of it, one on the right and one of the left. And I answered and spoke to the angel and said, what are these? And the angel, and the angel who talked with me said, don't you know, don't you understand? And he said, no, my Lord, I don't. Because it's hard for us to understand spiritual realities. And God knows. He said, no, I don't. Then, and the angel said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. It's not to Joshua this time. He's giving a word to the governor. And what is the word to the governor? It is for Joshua, but he's pointing out Zerubbabel. He said, not by mine are the purposes of God accomplished in your life or in, in your world, nor by power, but by my Holy Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. When Jesus comes and fills us with his precious Holy Spirit, it's not through what I do or what through you do that the work of God is accomplished. It is what he does in and through us. And the power of the Holy Spirit is able to move, to remove the mountains that live in our lives. But we need the precious presence of the Holy Spirit to help us to know how to go forward, what to do, and only he can remove the mountains. You will become a plane and you will bring forth the capstone, which again, that's the foundation, which is Jesus, the cornerstone. Moreover, the word of the Lord said to Zerubbabel, your hands have laid the foundation of the temple and your hands will finish it. He said, what you have started and is laying dormant for 16 or 17 years because you lost heart. And you said, there's no way. And I don't know how to do this. And it's too hard. And many times in our Christian lives, it's just like how we are. I don't know what to do. It's too hard. I can't. I'm good in the morning and I'm depressed at night. And we go up and down like a roller coaster. And he said, no, I, you've laid the foundation. And through the power of the spirit, if you will let me fill you with your Holy Spirit, then I not only will the foundation of the temple, which you've laid, be, it will be restored, but you can build the work of God and the temple of God in this place for the people of God. 
And so much of our work in the Church of Jesus Christ is we do it in our own strength. We have programs instead of prayer. We go forward making agendas of our own creation instead of waiting upon God to see where God's working. When God sent out the first missionaries, it came out of a prayer meeting, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas, and Saul and Barnabas after they had prayed and fasted. And that began the great missionary thrust. God is saying that if we are to live the way God wants us to live, we need to be Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled, God-anointed men and women after God's own heart. And he said, don't despise the day of small beginnings. And even if what God calls you to do looks so little, it isn't. It isn't. Because anything that we do in the name of Jesus, even a cup of water, God can use for our good, his glory, and for the redemption redemptive purposes of the world. It is the happiest way to live. And then he said, the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel will be given to you to establish the, the temple of God in Jerusalem. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. And the eyes of the Lord will scan all over the world to accomplish his purposes. But Chronicles says the eyes of the Lord runs throughout the world to look for one who is righteous with him. I want to know, have you been filled with his precious Holy Spirit? Where you've come in that glorious exchange to say, Jesus, I give you all of me for all of you. Nothing held back, nothing held on to, nothing between. And then to describe it even more, he repeats the first part. Because Zachariah didn't quite understand what he was saying. Doesn't it sound like hopeful, like you and me? <laughs> I said, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand. And what are these olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the gold, golden oil drains? And he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. It is the continual inflow of the life of the Spirit through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit into your life, into my life. The continual inflow of his life into our life as we abide in him and as we are literally possessed by the person of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and the person of God the Father. We become God-possessed people. And there's nothing more beautiful in all the world than a man or woman filled with the Holy Spirit and possessed by the precious, loving, Holy Spirit of God himself. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. 
And it's the constant inflow of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life. That then there's light. And just like in the candelabra, there's light. So that you have light that comes from him. So you and I shine and sparkle. So wherever we go, there comes Jesus. And Jesus is full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And the shine and sparkle comes not from us, but from the continuous overflow of his living presence in you and in me. Remember, I was getting ready to speak at Come to the Fire. And I've been living, I wasn't speaking on Zechariah, but I was drawing strength from Zechariah to have courage to speak, you know, the scenario. I know Vicki knows it. And I remember I read this. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. And I remember calling my dad on the phone and I said, Papa, could it be, is this what he's telling me? That as you and I make ourselves available and let him cleanse and purify and give us squeaky clean hearts. Could it be God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are pouring their life continually into my life by the power of God? And he said, oh, my Bethy, I think that's exactly what he's saying. So that I'm in him, as John 121 says, I'm in, I'm in Jesus by the power of the spirit. And Jesus is in the Father. So I'm in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'd like to say tonight, that is pretty sweet company. A pretty spectacular company. Do you know him? Has he cleansed and purified your heart? And then have you let him, that glorious exchange, all of me for all of him? And with this, I'm through. I had the happiest red rose treat this week. It's so fun. Al and I are in Georgia. And... Epworth by the Sea, St. Simon's, Georgia. This is where John and Charles Wesley came. And Al loves to come here because of being a Wesley scholar, he loves to come to be where Wesley's were on this continent. So we stayed at Epworth. But there's another island in these Georgia Isles right next to it. It's called Jekyll Island. And in the last century, Jekyll Island was owned by the Vanderbilts, the Rockefellers, the Pulitzers, the Goulds. I mean, the, the rich folks from the Newark and Newport, they came, bought the island for the winter hunting grounds. So there's cottages over there that are homes, but they call them cottages. Well, last week we went over to Jekyll to visit. They've restored all those old homes. One-sixth of the world's wealth a hundred years ago was on that island during these months. One-sixth. So I go 
And I love to go on Jekyll to the chapel. And 20 years ago, Katie Beth was home for the summer with her four little girls, five, five, they're twins, four and three. And Katie Beth was sick. Dan had brought her home for me to take care of her because he had English camps and she was too sick. Katie Beth and I were very busy caring for four little girls while she was sick. You can imagine. I had just, Susanna had just gotten married. Um, Billy was getting married at the end of the year. My mother had developed cancer. So she was, she was dying of cancer with which she died in the next eight months. We came into that chapel on Jekyll Island at the end of Katie Beth's stay, right before I went with her to fly her back to Hungary. And we looked at the Tiffany window that was put there by those millionaire billionaires. And at the top of the Tiffany window, there are angels and it says, sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider thrown into the sea. I don't know if you can see that right there. Well, I was so touched and so was Katie Beth. I thought, I am not singing. I am not rejoicing. And I don't see the horse and rider thrown into the sea. I'm drowning. But we made, we went home. We quoted that verse. We sang that verse. We put that verse up on our walls all over the campground where we were staying till she flew home. And it was a great blessing in my life to say, wait a minute, you're not quite, God has more for you in this instant than you're experiencing. 20 years later, this week, Al and I go to Jekyll Island and we go in the gift shop. And so we go in this little gift shop and look what I see. And I go, it's Laura's candelabra. Because of course she had painted it so I could visualize it, which I had never been able to do. And I go, there's our, and I said, Laura's. I said, well, Zechariah's, but Laura's painted it. There's the candelabra, there's the, and there's the candelabra. And I go, oh my goodness. And underneath it, it says, holiness unto the Lord. And what it is, is David commissioning his singers. Well, I, I said, oh, please, could you buy me that pillow, please? Which he was sweetly did. Well, then Saturday, we went back to Jekyll. We went into the chapel. And do you know what I saw? I saw my angels singing to the Lord for his triumph gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. And then Jesus said to me, Bethy, you never saw the rest of the story. That power of the infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life is the, that's right there, right there for you, right there for the billionaires. I was looking at it, but I never saw it. 
that candelabra is significant because it has been infilling the constant infilling as you abide in me so that the life of Jesus can flow out of your life and mine to light up the dark, pitiful, lost world in which you and I live. That is as recent as this week. But ladies, I saw the top of the window. It took me 20 years to see the centerpiece. 20 years. Can you see? Can you see? Jesus is saying, oh, if you had eyes to see how good I am, you would run to me. You would run to me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We worship you, the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. For me, for everyone on this call, your blood was shed for me, for each one of us, that we could enter in to the Trinitarian conversation and live in the sweet presence of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for which you made and created us. Jesus, would you let not one of us miss all the goodness of God in our lives, which is literally God himself. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you put a hunger in our hearts, in my heart, hunger more than life for you? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give me ears to hear? Would you give me a hearing heart and a seeing heart? And then, oh, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you give me a holy heart and every one of us on this Bible study tonight, a heart that is clean, no sin. The blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse from all sin. Oh, Jesus, don't let us limp our way through life. Let us get into the glory and goodness of God himself. Even tonight. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. Come, sweet Spirit. We pray. Come in your strength and your power. Come in your own gentle way. In Jesus' precious name.